As for this man, I know that he is blinded by the God of this world. Let thee and I go on, knowing that we have belief of the truth, and no lie is of the truth. Hopeful said, Now do I rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So they turned away from the man, and he, laughing at them, went on his way. I then saw in my dream that they went till they came into a certain country, whose ear naturally tended to make one drowsy if he came a stranger into it. And here Hopeful began to be very dull and heavy of sleep. Wherefore he said unto Christian, I do now begin to grow so drowsy that I can scarcely hold up mine eyes. Let us lie down here and take one nap. By no means, said the other, left sleeping we shall never awake any more. Why, my brother, said Hopeful, sleep is sweet to the laboring man. We may be refreshed if we take a nap. Do you not remember that one of the shepherds bid us beware of the enchanted ground? asked Christian. He meant by that we should beware of sleeping. Wherefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. I acknowledge myself in fault, said Hopeful, and had I been here alone, I had, by sleeping, run the danger of death. I see it is true that the wise man saith, Two are better than one. Hitherto hath thy company been my mercy, and thou shalt have a good reward for thy labor. Now then, said Christian, to prevent drowsiness in this place, let us fall into good discourse. With all my heart, said the other. Where shall we begin, asked Christian. Where God began with us, said Hopeful. But do you begin, if you please. Christian, I will sing you first this song. When saints do sleepy grow, let them come hither, and hear how these two pilgrims talk together. Yea, let them learn of them in any wise, thus to keep ope their drowsy slumbering eyes. Saints' fellowship, if it be managed well, keeps them awake, and that in spite of hell. Then Christian began and said, I will ask you a question. How came you to think at first of doing as you do now? Do you mean, asked Hopeful, how came I at first to look after the good of my soul? Yes, that is my meaning. I continued, said Hopeful, a great while in the delight of those things which were seen and sold at our fair, things which I believe now would have, had I continued in them still, drowned me in perdition and destruction. What things were they, asked Christian? All the treasures and riches of the world. Also I delighted much in rioting, reveling, drinking, swearing, lying, uncleanness, Sabbath-breaking, and what not, that tended to destroy the soul. But I found at last, by hearing and considering of things that are divine, which indeed I heard of you, as also of beloved faithful, that was put to death for his faith in good living in Vanity Fair, that the end of these things is death and that for these things' sake the wrath of God cometh upon the children of disobedience. And did you presently fall under the power of this conviction? asked Christian. No, I was not willing presently to know the evil of sin, nor the damnation that follows upon the commission of it, but endeavored, when my mind at first began to be shaken with the word, to shut mine eyes against the light thereof. Then said Christian, but what was the cause of your carrying of it thus to the first workings of God's blessed Spirit upon you? The causes were, said Hopeful, firstly, I was ignorant that this was the work of God upon me. I never thought that by awakenings for sin, God at first begins the conversion of a sinner. Secondly, sin was yet very sweet to my flesh, and I was loath to leave it. Thirdly, I could not tell how to part with mine old companions, their presence and actions were so desirable unto me. 
Fourthly, the hours in which convictions were upon me were such troublesome and such heart-affrighting hours that I could not bear, no, not so much as the remembrance of them upon my heart. And as it seems, said Christian, sometimes you got rid of your trouble. Yes, verily, but it would come into my mind again, and then I should be as bad, nay, worse than I was before. Why, said Christian, what was it that brought your sins to mind again? Oh, many things, said Hopeful, as, one, if I did but meet a good man in the streets, or, if I had heard any read in the Bible, or, if mine head did begin to ache, or if I were told that some of my neighbors were sick, or if I heard the bell toll for some that were dead, or if I thought I were dying myself, or if I heard that sudden death happened to others, but especially when I thought of myself that I must quickly come to judgment. Christian, and could you at any time with ease get off the guilt of sin when by any of these ways it came upon you? No, not I, said Hopeful, for then they got faster hold on my conscience, and then, if I did but think of going back to sin, though my mind was turned against it, it would be double torment to me. And how did you do then, asked Christian? I thought I must endeavor to mend my life, for else, thought I, I am sure to be damned. And did you endeavor to mend, asked Christian? Yes, and fled not only from my sins, but sinful company too, and betook me to religious duties as praying, reading, weeping for sin, speaking truth to my neighbors, etc. These things I did with many others, too much here to relate. And did you think yourself well then, asked Christian? Yes, for a while, said Hopeful, but at the last my trouble came tumbling upon me again, and that over the neck of all my reformations. How came that about, asked Christian, since you are now reformed? Then said Hopeful, There are several things brought it upon me, especially such things as these. All our righteousness are as filthy rags. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. When ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, We are unprofitable, with many more such like. From whence I began to reason with myself thus, if all my righteousness are filthy rags, if by the deeds of the law no man can be justified, and if when we have done all we are yet unprofitable, then it is but a folly to think of heaven by the law. I further thought thus, if a man runs a hundred pounds into the shopkeeper's debt, and after that shall pay for all that he shall fetch, yet his old debt stands still in the book uncrossed for the which the shopkeeper may sue him and cast him into prison till he shall pay the debt. Well, said Christian, and how did you apply this to yourself? Why, I thought thus with myself, said Hopeful. I have by my sins run a great way into God's book, and, and my now reforming will not pay off that score. Therefore I should think still under all my present amendments. But how shall I be freed from that damnation that I have brought myself in danger of by my former transgressions? A very good application, said Christian, but pray go on. Another thing that hath troubled me ever since my late amendment is that if I look narrowly into the best of what I do now, I still see sin, new sin, mixing itself with the best of that I do. So that now I am forced to conclude that notwithstanding my former fond conceits of myself and duties, I have committed sin enough in one duty to send me to hell, though my former life had been faultless. And what did you do then, asked Christian? Do? I could not tell what to do till I break my mind to faithful, for he and I were well acquainted. And he told me, 
that unless I could obtain the righteousness of a man that never had sinned, neither mine own nor all the righteousness of the world could save me. Christian, and did you think he spake true? Then said Hopeful, had he told me so when I was pleased and satisfied with mine own amendment, I had called him fool for his pains. But now, since I see mine own infirmity and the sin which cleaves to my best performance, I have been forced to be of his opinion. Christian, but did you think when at first he suggested it to you that there was such a man to be found of whom it might justly be said that he never committed sin? I must confess the words at first sounded strangely, said Hopeful, but after a little more talk in company with him, I had full conviction about it. Christian, and did you ask him what man this was and how you must be justified by him? A more particular discovery of the way to be saved. Yes, said Hopeful, and he told me it was the Lord Jesus that dwelleth on the right hand of the Most High. And thus said he, You must be justified by him, even by trusting what he hath done by himself in the days of his flesh, and suffered when he did hang on the tree. I asked him further how that man's righteousness could be of that efficacy to justify another before God. And he told me he was the mighty God, and did what he did, and died the death also, not for himself, but for me, to whom his doings and the worthiness of them should be imputed if I believed on him. And what did you do then, asked Christian? I made my objections against my believing, for that I thought he was not willing to save me. And what said faithful to you then, asked Christian? He bid me go to him and see. Then I said it was presumption. But he said no, for I was invited to come. Then he gave me a book of Jesus, inditing to encourage me the more freely to come. And, and he said concerning that book, that every jot and tittle thereof stood firmer than heaven and earth. Then I asked him what I must do when I came, and he told me I must entreat on my knees, and with all my heart and soul, the Father to reveal him to me. Then I asked him further how I must make my supplication to him, and he said, Go, and thou shalt find him upon a mercy seat, for he sits all the year long to give pardon and forgiveness to them that come. I told him that I knew not what to say when I came, and he bid me say to this effect, God be merciful to me a sinner, and make me to know and believe in Jesus Christ. For I see that if his righteousness had not been, or I have not faith in that righteousness, I am utterly cast away. Lord, I have heard that thou art a merciful God, and hath ordained that thy Son Jesus Christ should be the Savior of the world, and moreover that thou art willing to bestow him upon such a poor sinner as I am. And I am a sinner indeed. Lord, take therefore this opportunity and magnify thy grace in the salvation of my soul, through thy Son Jesus Christ. Amen. And did you do as you were bidden? Yes, over and over and over, said Hopeful. And did the Father reveal his Son to you? Not at the first, nor second, nor third, nor fourth, nor fifth. No, nor at the sixth time neither. And what did you do then, asked Christian? What? Why, I could not tell what to do. Had you no thoughts of leaving off praying, asked Christian? Oh, yes, a hundred times twice told. And what was the reason you did not? Well, I believe that that was true what had been told me, to wit, that without the righteousness of this Christ, all the world could not save me. And therefore thought I with myself, If I leave off, I die, and I can but die at the throne of grace. And with all this came to my mind, Though it tarry, wait for it.
because it will surely come. It will not tarry. So I continued praying until the Father showed me his Son. Christ is revealed to him and how. And how was he revealed unto you, asked Christian? I did not see him with my bodily eyes, but with the eyes of mine understanding. And thus it was. One day I was very sad, I think sadder than at any one time in my life. And this sadness was through a fresh sight of the greatness and vileness of my sins. And as I was then looking for nothing but hell and the everlasting damnation of my soul, suddenly as I thought, I saw the Lord Jesus look down from heaven upon me and saying, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But I replied, Lord, I am a great, a very great sinner. And he answered, My grace is sufficient for thee. Then I said, But Lord, what is believing? And then I saw from that saying, He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. That believing and coming was all one, and that he that came, that is, ran out in his heart and affections after salvation by Christ, he indeed believed in Christ. Then the water stood in mine eyes, and I asked further, But Lord, may such a great sinner as I am be indeed accepted of thee, and be saved by thee? And I heard him say, And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Then I said, But how, Lord, must I consider of thee in my coming to thee, that my faith may be placed aright upon thee? Then he said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. He died for our sins and rose again for our justification. He loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He is mediator between God and us. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. From all which I gathered that I must look for righteousness in his person and for satisfaction for my sins by his blood, that what he did in obedience to his father's law and in submitting to the penalty thereof was not for himself but for him that will accept it for his salvation and be thankful. And now was my heart full of joy mine eyes full of tears and mine affections running over with love to the name, people, and ways of Jesus Christ. Christian, this was a revelation of Christ to your soul indeed, but tell me particularly what effect this had upon your spirit. It made me see that all the world, said Hopeful, notwithstanding all the righteousness thereof, is in the state of condemnation. It made me see that God the Father, though he be just, can justly justify the coming sinner. It made me greatly ashamed of the vileness of my former life and confounded me with the sense of my own ignorance, for there never came thought into my heart before now that showed me so the beauty of Jesus Christ. It made me love a holy life and long to do something for the honor and glory of the Lord Jesus. Yea, I thought that had I now a thousand gallons of blood in my body, I could spill it all for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Chapter 10 I saw then in my dream that Hopeful looked back and saw Ignorance, whom they had left behind coming after. Look, said he to Christian, how far yonder youngster loitereth behind. Ay, ay, I see him. He careth not for our company. Hopeful. But I thought it would not have hurt him had he kept pace with us hitherto. That is true, said Christian. But I warrant you he thinks otherwise. That I think he does. But however, let us carry for him. So they did. Then Christian said to him, Come away, man. Why do you stay so behind? Ignorance. I take my pleasure in walking alone. 
even more a great deal than in company, unless I like it the better. Then said Christian to Hopeful, but softly, Did I not tell you he cared not for our company? But, however, said he, come up and let us talk away the time in this solitary place. Then directing his speech to ignorance, he said, Come, how do you do? How stands it between God and your soul now? I hope well, said ignorance, for I am always full of good motions that come into my mind to comfort me as I walk. What good motions? Pray tell us. Why, I think of God in heaven, said ignorance. So do the devils and damned souls, said Christian. But I think of them and desire them. Christian, so do many that are never like to come there. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. Ignorant said, But I think of them and leave all for them. That I doubt, said Christian, for leaving of all is a very hard matter, yea, a harder matter than many are aware of. But why or by what art thou persuaded that thou hast left all for God in heaven? My heart tells me so. Christian, the wise man says, He that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. This is spoken of an evil heart, said Ignorance, but mine is a good one. But how dost thou prove that? Ignorance said, It comforts me in the hopes of heaven. That may be through its deceitfulness, said Christian, for a man's heart may minister comfort to him in the hopes of that thing for which he has yet no ground to hope. But my heart and life agree together, said Ignorance, and therefore my hope is well grounded. Who told thee that thy heart and life agree together? My heart tells me so, said Ignorance. Ask my fellow if I be a thief, said Christian. Thy heart tells thee so. Except the word of God beareth witness in this matter, other testimony is of no value. Ignorance. But is it not a good heart that hath good thoughts, and is not that a good life that is according to God's commandments? Yes, said Christian, that is a good heart that hath good thoughts, and that is a good life that is according to God's commandments. But it is one thing indeed to have these, and another thing only to think so. Pray, what counts you good thoughts, asked ignorance, and a life according to God's commandments? They are good thoughts of diverse kinds, some respecting ourselves, some God, some Christ, and some other things. Ignorance, what be good thoughts respecting ourselves? Well, such as agree with the word of God. Ignorance asked, When do our thoughts of ourselves agree with the word of God? When we pass the same judgment upon ourselves which the word passes, said Christian. To explain myself, the word of God saith of persons in a natural condition, There is none righteous, there is none that doeth good. It saith also that every imagination of the heart of man is only evil, and that continually. And again, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now then, when we think thus of ourselves, having sense thereof, then are our thoughts good ones, because according to the word of God. I will never believe that my heart is thus bad, said Ignorance. Therefore, said Christian, thou never hast one good thought concerning thyself in thy life. But let me go on. As the word passes judgment upon thy heart, so it passes a judgment upon our ways. And when our thoughts of our hearts and ways agree with the judgment which the word giveth of both, then are both good because agreeing thereto. Make out your meaning, said Ignorance. Christian says, Why, the word of God says that man's ways are crooked ways, not good but perverse. It says they are naturally out of the good way, that they have not known it. 
Now when a man thus thinketh of his ways, I say, when he doth sensibly and with heart humiliation thus think, then hath he good thoughts of his own ways, because his thoughts now agree with the judgment of the word of God. What are good thoughts concerning God, asked Christian? Even as I have said concerning ourselves, when our thoughts of God do agree with what the word saith of him, and that is, when we think of his being and attributes as the word hath taught, of which I cannot now discourse at large, but to speak of him with reference to us, then have we right thoughts of God, when we think that he knows us better than we know ourselves, and can see sin in us when and where we can see none in ourselves. When we think he knows our inmost thoughts, and that our heart with all its depths is always open unto his eyes. Also, when we think that all our righteousness stinks in his nostrils, and that therefore he cannot abide to see us stand before him in any confidence, even in all our best performances. Do you think that I am such a fool as to think God can see no farther than I, asked Ignorance, or that I would come to God in the best of my performances? Why, said Christian, how dost thou think in this matter? Why, to be short, said Ignorance, I think I must believe in Christ for justification. How, said Christian, think thou must believe in Christ, when thou seest not thy need of him? Thou neither seest thy original nor actual infirmities, but hast such an opinion of thyself and of what thou doest, as plainly renders thee to be one that did never see a necessity of Christ's personal righteousness to justify thee before God. How then dost thou say, I believe in Christ? I believe well enough for all that, said Ignorance. But how dost thou believe? I believe that Christ died for sinners, and that I shall be justified before God from the curse through his gracious acceptance of my obedience to his law. Or thus, Christ makes my duties that are religious acceptable to his Father by virtue of his merits, and so shall I be justified. Christian, let me give an answer to this confession of thy faith. 1. Thou believest with a fantastical faith, for this faith is nowhere described in the word. 2. Thou believest with a false faith, because it taketh justification from the personal righteousness of Christ and applies it to thy own. 3. This faith maketh not Christ a justifier of thy person, but of thy actions, and of thy person for thy actions' sake, which is false. 4. Therefore this faith is deceitful, even such as will leave thee under the wrath in the day of God. For true justifying faith puts the soul, as sensible of its lost condition by the law, upon flying for refuge into Christ's righteousness, which righteousness of his is not an act of grace by which he maketh for justification thy obedience accepted with God, but his personal obedience to the law in doing and suffering for us what that required at our hands. This righteousness, I say, true faith accepts, under the skirt of which the soul being shrouded, and by it presented as spotless before God, it is accepted and acquit from condemnation. What, said Ignorance, would you have us trust to what Christ in his own person has done without us? This conceit would loosen the reins of our lusts and tolerate us to live as we list. For what matter how we live if we may be justified by Christ's personal righteousness from all when we believe it? Ignorance is thy name, said Christian, and as thy name is, so art thou. Even this thy answer demonstrates what I say. Ignorance thou art of what justifying righteousness is, 
and as ignorant how to secure thy soul through the faith of it from the heavy wrath of God. Yea, thou also art ignorant of the true effects of saving faith in this righteousness of Christ, which is to bow and win over the heart to God in Christ, to love his name, his word, ways and people, and not as thou ignorantly imagine. Then said Hopeful, Ask him if ever he had Christ revealed to him from heaven. What, said Ignorance, you are a man of revelations? I believe that what both you and all the rest of you say about that matter is but the fruit of distracted brains. Why, man, said Hopeful, Christ is so hid in God from the natural apprehensions of the flesh that he cannot by any man be savingly known unless God the Father reveals him to them. That is your faith, said Ignorance, but not mine. Yet mine, I doubt not, is as good as yours, though I have not in my head so many whimsies as you. Christian, give me leave to put in a word. You ought not so slightly to speak of this matter, for this I will boldly affirm, even as my good companion hath done, that no man can know Jesus Christ but by the revelation of the Father. Yea, and faith, too, by which the soul layeth hold upon Christ, if it be right, must be wrought by the exceeding greatness of his mighty power, the working of which faith, I perceive, for ignorance, thou art ignorant of. Be awakened, then, see thine own wretchedness, and fly to the Lord Jesus, and by his righteousness, which is the righteousness of God, for he himself is God, thou shalt be delivered from condemnation. Ignorance, you go so fast I cannot keep pace with you. Do you go on before, I must stay a while behind. Then they said, Well, ignorance, wilt thou yet foolish be, this light good counsel ten times given thee? And if thou yet refuse it, thou shalt know, ere long, the evil of thy doing so. Remember man in time, stoop, do not fear, good counsel taken well saves. Therefore hear, if, but if thou shalt slight it, thou wilt be the loser ignorance, I'll warrant thee. Then Christian addressed himself thus to his fellow, well, come, my good hopeful, I perceive that thou and I must walk by ourselves again. So I saw in my dream that they went on a pace before, and ignorance he came hobbling after. Then said Christian to his companion, It pities me much for this poor man. It will certainly go ill with him at last. Alas, said hopeful, there are abundance in our town in his condition, whose families, yea, whole streets, and that of pilgrims too. And if there be so many in our parts, how many, think you, must there be in the place where he was born? Indeed the word hath said, said Christian, He hath blinded their eyes, lest they should see, etc. But now we are by ourselves. What do you think of such men? Have they at no time, think you, convictions of sin, and so consequently fears that their state is dangerous? Nay, said Hopeful, do you answer that question yourself? For you are the elder man." Then I say, said Christian, sometimes as I think they may, but they, being naturally ignorant, understand not that such convictions tend to their good, and therefore they do desperately seek to stifle them, and presumptuously continue to flatter themselves in the way of their own hearts. I do believe, said Hopeful, as you say, that fear tends much to men's good, and to make them right at their beginning to go on pilgrimage. Without all doubt it does, said Christian, if it be right. For so says the word, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then said Hopeful, how will you describe right fear? 
true or right fear is discovered by three things, said Christian. One, by its rise. It is caused by saving convictions for sin. Two, it driveth the soul to lay fast hold of Christ for salvation. Three, it begets and continues in the soul a great reverence of God, his word and ways, keeping it tender and making it afraid to turn from them, to the right hand or to the left, to anything that may dishonor God, break its peace, grieve the spirit, or cause the enemy to speak reproachfully. Well said, said Hopeful. I believe you have said the truth. Are we now almost got past the enchanted ground? Why, art thou weary of this discourse? asked Christian. No, verily, but that I would know where we are. Christian said, We have not now above two miles farther to go thereon. But let us return to our matter. Now the ignorant know not that such convictions as tend to put them in fear are for their good, and therefore they seek to stifle them. But how do they seek to stifle them? asked Hopeful. One, they think that those fears are wrought by the devil, though indeed they are wrought of God, and thinking so they resist them as things that directly tend to their overthrow. Two, they also think that these fears tend to the spoiling of their faith, when alas for them, poor men that they are, they have none at all, and therefore they harden their hearts against them. Three, they presume they ought not to fear, and therefore in despite of them wax presumptuously confident. Four, they see that those fears tend to take away from them their pitiful old self-holiness, and therefore they resist them with all their might. I know something of this myself, said Hopeful, for before I knew myself, it was so with me. Christian said, Well, we will leave at this time our neighbor ignorance by himself and fall upon another profitable question. Hopeful said, With all my heart, but you shall still begin. Well then, said Christian, did you not know about ten years ago one temporary in your parts who was a forward man in religion then? Know him? Yes, he dwelt in Graceless, a town about two miles off of Honesty, and he dwelt next door to one turnback. Right, said Christian. He dwelt under the same roof with him. Well, that man was much awakened once. I believe that then he had some sight of his sins and of the wages that were due thereto. Hopeful replies, I am of your mind, for, my house not being above three miles from him, he would oft times come to me, and that with many tears. Truly I pitied the man, and was not altogether without hope of him. But one may see, it is not everyone that cries, Lord, Lord. Christian said, He told me once that he was resolved to go on pilgrimage as we do now. But all of a sudden he grew acquainted with one saved self, and then he became a stranger to me. Now, said Hopeful, since we are talking about him, let us a little inquire into the reason of the sudden backsliding of him and such others. Christian said, It may be very profitable, but do you begin. Well then, said Hopeful, there are, in my judgment, four reasons for it. One, though the consciences of such men are awakened, yet their minds are not changed. Therefore, when the power of guilt weareth away, that which provokes them to be religious ceases. Wherefore, they naturally turn to their old course again. Even as we see the dog that is sick of what he hath eaten, so long as his sickness prevails, he vomits and casts up all. Not that he doth this of a free mind, for if we may say a dog has a mind, but because it troubles his stomach. But now, when his sickness is over, and so his stomach is eased, 
His desire not being all alienated from his vomit, he turns him about and licks it up all. And so it is true which is written, the dog is turned again to his own vomit. Thus I say, being hot for heaven, by virtue only of the sense and fear of the torments of hell, as their sense of hell and the fears of damnation chill and cool, so their desires for heaven and salvation cool also. So then it comes to pass that when their guilt and fear are gone, their desires for heaven and happiness die, and they return to their course again. Two, another reason is, they have slavish fears that do overmaster them. I speak now of the fears that they have of men, for the fear of man bringeth a snare. So then, though they seem to be hot for heaven so long as the flames of hell are about their ears, yet when that terror is a little over, they betake themselves to second thoughts, namely, that it is good to be wise and not to run, for they know not what, the hazard of losing all, or at least of bringing themselves into unavoidable and unnecessary troubles, and so they fall in with the world again. 3. The shame that attends religion lies also as a block in their way. They are proud and haughty, and religion in their eye is low and contemptible. Therefore, when they have lost their sense of hell and the wrath to come, they return again to their former course. 4. Guilt and to meditate terror are grievous to them. They like not to see their misery before they come into it, though perhaps the sight of it first, if they love not that sight, might make them fly whither the righteous fly and are safe. But because they do, as I hinted before, even shun the thoughts of guilt and terror, therefore when once they are rid of their awakenings about the terrors and wrath of God, they harden their hearts gladly and choose such ways as will harden them more and more. Christian, you are pretty near the business, for the, bo- for the bottom of all is for want of a change of their mind and will. And therefore they are but like the felon that stands before the judge. He quakes and trembles, and seems to repent most heartily. But the bottom of all is the fear of the halter, not of any detestation of the offense, as is evident. Because let but this man have his liberty, and he will be a thief, and so a rogue still. Whereas if his mind was changed, he would be otherwise. Hopeful says, Now I have showed you the reasons of their going back. Do you show me the manner thereof? Christian said, So I will, willingly. One, they draw off their thoughts, all that they may from the remembrance of God, death, and judgment to come. Two, then they cast off by degrees private duties as closet prayer, curbing their lusts, watching, sorrow for sin, and the like. Three, then they shun the company of lively and warm Christians. Four, after that they grow cold to public duty, as hearings, readings, godly conference, and the like. 5. Then they begin to pick holes, as we say, in the coats of some of the godly, and that devilishly, that they may have a seeming color to throw religion, for the sake of some infirmity they have espied in them, behind their backs. 6. Then they begin to adhere to and associate themselves with carnal, loose, and wanton men. 7. Then they give way to carnal and wanton discourses in secret and glad are they if they can see such things in any that are counted honest, that they may the more boldly do it through their example. 8. After this they begin to play with little sins openly, and 9. Then being hardened they show themselves as they are. Thus, being launched again into the gulf of misery, unless a miracle of grace prevent it, they everlastingly perish in their own deceivings. Chapter 11 
Now I saw in my dream that by this time the pilgrims were got over the enchanted ground and entering into the country of Beulah, whose air was very sweet and pleasant. The way lying directly through it, they solaced themselves therefore a season. Yea, here they heard continually the singing of birds, and saw every day the flowers appear on the earth, and heard the voice of the turtle in the land. In this country the sun shines night and day, wherefore this was beyond the valley of the shadow of death, and also out of reach of giant despair. Neither could they from this place so much as see Doubting Castle. Here they were within sight of the city they were going to. Also here they met them some of the inhabitants thereof, for in this land the shining ones commonly walked, because it was upon the borders of heaven. In this land also the contrast between the bride and the bridegroom was renewed. Yea, here, as the bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so did their God rejoice over them. Here they had no want of corn and wine, for in this place they met with abundance of what they had sought for in all their pilgrimage. Here they heard the voices from out of the city, loud voices, saying, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him. Here all the inhabitants of the country called them the holy people, and redeemed of the Lord, sought out, etc. Now as they walked in this land, they had more rejoicing than in parts more remote from the kingdom to which they were bound. And drawing near to the city, they had yet a more perfect view thereof. It was builded of pearls and precious stones. Also the streets thereof were paved with gold, so that by reason of the natural glory of the city and the reflection of the sunbeams upon it, Christian with desire fell sick. Hopeful also had a fit or two of the same disease. Wherefore here they lay by it a while, crying out because of their pangs, If you see my beloved, tell him that I am sick of love. But being a little strengthened and better able to bear their sickness, they walked on in their way, and came yet nearer and nearer, where were orchards, vineyards, and gardens, and their gates opened into the highway. Now as they came up to these places, behold, the gardener stood in the way, to whom the pilgrims said, Whose goodly vineyards and gardens are these? He answered, They are the king's, and are planted here for his own delight, and also for the solace of pilgrims. So the gardener had them into the vineyards, and bid them refresh themselves with the dainties. He also showed them there the king's walks, and the arbors where he delighted to be, and here they carried and slept. Now I beheld in my dream that they talked more in their sleep at this time than ever they did in all their journey. And being an amused thereabout, the gardener said even to me, Wherefore musest thou at the matter? It is the nature of the fruit of the grapes of these vineyards to go down so sweetly as to cause the lips of them that are asleep to speak. So I saw when they awoke they addressed themselves to go up to the city. But as I said, the reflection of the sun upon the city, for the city was pure gold, was so extremely glorious that they could not as yet with open face behold it, but through an instrument made for that purpose. So I saw that, as they went on, there met them two men in raiment that shone like gold. Also their faces shone as the light. These men asked the pilgrims whence they came, and they told them. They also asked them where they had lodged, what difficulties and dangers, what comforts and pleasures they had met in the way, and they told them. Then said the men that met them, You have but two difficulties more to meet with, and then you are in the city. Christian then and his companion asked the men to go along with them, so they told them that they would. But, said they, you must obtain it by your own faith. 
So I saw in my dream that they went on together till they came in sight of the gate. Death. Now I further saw that betwixt them and the gate was a river, but there was no bridge to go over, and the river was very deep. At the sight, therefore, of this river, the pilgrims were much stunned. But the men that went with them said, You must go through, or you cannot come at the gate. Death is not welcome to nature, though by it we pass out of this world into glory. The pilgrims then began to inquire if there was no other way to the gate, to which they answered, Yes, but there hath not any save two, to wit Enoch and Elijah, been permitted to tread that path since the foundation of the world, nor shall until the last trumpet shall sound. The pilgrims then, especially Christian, began to despond in his mind, and looked this way and that, but no way could be found by them by which they might escape the river. Then they asked the man if the waters were all of a depth. They said no, yet they could not help them in that case, for they said, You shall find it deeper or shallower as you believe in the king of the place. They then addressed themselves to the water, and entering, Christian began to sink, and crying out to his good friend Hopeful, he said, I sink in deep waters, the billows go over my head, all his waves go over me. Selah. Then said the other, Be of good cheer, my brother, I feel the bottom, and it is good. Then said Christian, Ah, my friend, the sorrows of death have compassed me about. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with that a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian, so that he could not see before him. Also here he in great measure lost his senses, so that he could neither remember nor orderly talk of any of those sweet refreshments that he had met with in the way of his pilgrimage. But all the words that he spake still tended to discover that he had horror of mind and heart fears that he should die in the river and never obtain entrance in at the gate. Here also, as they that stood by perceived, he was much in the troublesome thoughts of the sins that he had committed, both since and before he began to be a pilgrim. It was also observed that he was troubled with apparitions of hobgoblins and evil spirits, for ever and anon he would intimate so much by words. Christian delivered from his fears in death. Hopeful, therefore, here had much ado to keep his brother's head above water. Yea, sometimes he would be quite gone down, and then ere a while he would rise up again half dead. Hopeful would also endeavor to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate, and men standing by to receive us. But Christian would answer, It is you, it is you they wait for. You have been hopeful ever since I knew you. And so have you, said he to Christian. Ah, brother, said he, surely, if I were right, he would now arise to help me. But for my sins he hath brought me into this snare, and hath left me. Then said Hopeful, My brother, you have quite forgot the text where it is said of the wicked, There are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. These troubles and distresses that you go through in these waters are no sign that God hath forsaken you, but are sent to try you, whether you will call to mind that which hitherto you have received of his goodness, and live upon him in your distresses. Then I saw in my dream that Christian was in a muse a while, to whom also Hopeful added these words, Be of good cheer, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. And with that Christian break out with a loud voice, Oh, I see him again, and he tells me, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. 
Then they both took courage, and the enemy was, after that, as still as a stone, until they were gone over. Christian, therefore, presently found ground to stand upon, and so it followed that the rest of the river was but shallow. Thus they got over. The angels do wait for them as soon as they are passed out of this world. Now upon the bank of the river on the other side they saw the two shining men again, who there waited for them. Wherefore, being come out of the river, they saluted them, saying, We are ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those that shall be heirs of salvation. Thus they went along towards the gate. Now you must note that the city stood upon a mighty hill, but the pilgrims went up that hill with ease, because they had these two men to lead them up by the arms. Also they had left their mortal garments behind them in the river, for though they went in with them, they came out without them. They therefore went up here with much agility and speed, though the foundation upon which the city was framed was higher than the clouds. They therefore went up through the regions of the air, sweetly talking as they went, being comforted because they had safely got over the river and had such glorious companions to attend them. The talk they had with the shining ones was about the glory of the place, who told them that the beauty and glory of it were inexpressible. There, said they, is Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable company of angels, and the spirits of just men made perfect. You are going now, said they, to the paradise of God, wherein you shall see the tree of life, and eat of the never-fading fruits thereof. And when you come there, you shall have white robes given you, and your walk and talk shall be every day with the king, even all the days of eternity. There you shall not see again such things as you saw when you were in the lower region upon the earth, to wit, sorrow, sickness, affliction, and death, for the former things are passed away. You are going now to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to the prophets, men that God hath taken away from the evil to come, and that are now resting upon their beds, each one walking in his righteousness. The men then asked, What must we do in the holy place? To whom it was answered, You must there receive the comfort of all your toil, and have joy for all your sorrow. You must reap what you have sown, even the fruit of all your prayers and tears, and sufferings for the king by the way. In that place you must wear crowns of gold, and enjoy the perpetual sight and visions of the Holy One, for there you shall see him as he is. There also you shall serve him continually with praise, with shouting and thanksgiving, whom you desire to serve in the world, though with much difficulty, because of the infirmity of your flesh. There your eyes shall be delighted with seeing, and your ears with hearing, the pleasant voice of the Mighty One. There you shall enjoy your friends again that have gone thither before you, and there you shall with joy receive even every one that follows into the holy place after you. There also you shall be clothed with glory and majesty, and put into an equipage fit to ride with the King of Glory. When he shall come with sound of comfort in the clouds, as upon the wings of the wind, you shall come with him. And when he shall sit upon the throne of judgment, you shall sit by him. Yea, and when he shall pass sentence upon all the workers of iniquity, let them be angels or men, you also have a voice in that judgment, because they were his and your enemies. Also, when he shall again return to the city, you shall go too with the sound of trumpet, and be ever with him. Now while they were thus drawing towards the gate, behold, a company of the heavenly host came out to greet them, to whom it was said by the other two shining ones, These are the men that have loved our Lord when in the world, and that have left all for his holy name. 
and he hath sent us to fetch him, and we have brought them thus far on their desired journey, that they may go in and look their Redeemer in the face with joy. Then the heavenly host gave a great shout, saying, Blessed are they which are called to the married supper of the Lamb. There came out also at this time to meet them several of the king's trumpeters, clothed in white and shining raiment, who, with melodious sounds and noises, made even the heavens to echo with their sound. These trumpeters saluted Christian and his fellow with ten thousand welcomes from the world, and this they did with shouting and sound of trumpet. This done, they compassed them round on every side. Some went before, some behind, and some on the right hand, some on the left, as it were, to guard them through the upper regions, continually sounding as they went with melodious noise in notes on high, so that the very sight was to them that could behold it as if the heaven itself was come down to meet them. Thus therefore they walked on together, and as they walked, ever and anon these trumpeters, even with joyful sounds, would, by mixing their music with looks and gestures, still signify to Christian and his brother how welcome they were into their company, and with what gladness they came to meet them. And now were these two men, as it were, in heaven, before they came at it, being swallowed up with the sight of angels, and with hearing of their melodious notes. Here also they had the city itself in view, and thought they heard all the bells therein to ring, and welcomed them thereto. But above all, the warm and joyful thoughts, that they had about their own dwelling there with such company, and that forever and ever, oh, by what tongue or pen can their glorious joy be expressed? And thus they came up to the gate. Now when they were come up to the gate, there was written over it in letters of gold, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gate unto the city. Then I saw in my dream that the shining men bid them call at the gate, the which they did. Some from above looked over the gate, to wit, Enoch, Moses, and Elijah, etc., to whom it was said, These pilgrims are come from the city of destruction, for the love that they bear to the king of this place. And then the pilgrims gave in unto them, each man his certificate, which they had received in the beginning. Those therefore were carried into the king, who, when he had read them, said, Where are the men? To whom it was answered, They are standing without the gate. Then the king commanded to open the gate, that the righteous nation, said he, which keepeth the truth, may enter in. Now I saw in my dream that these two men went in at the gate, and lo, as they entered, they were transfigured, and they had raiment put on that shone like gold. There were also that met them with harps and crowns, and gave them to them, the harps to praise withal, and the crowns in token of honor. Then I heard in my dream that all the bells in the city rang again for joy, and that it was said unto them, Enter ye into the joy of your Lord. I also heard the men themselves that they sang with a loud voice, saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. Now just as the gates were open to let the men in, I looked in after them, and behold, the city shone like the sun. The streets also were paved with gold, and in them walked many men with crowns on their heads, palms in their hands, and golden harps to sing praises withal. There were also of them that had wings, and they answered one another without intermission, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And after that they shut up the gates, which, when I had seen, I wished myself among them. 
Now while I was gazing upon these things, I turned my head to look back and saw ignorance come up to the riverside. But he soon got over, and that without half the difficulty which the other two men met with. For it happened that there was then in the place one vain hope, a ferryman, that with his boat helped him over. So he, as the others I saw, did ascend the hill to come up to the gate. Only he came alone. Neither did any man meet him with the least encouragement. When he was come up to the gate, he looked up to the writing that was above, and then began to knock, supposing that entrance should have been quickly administered to him. But he was asked by the men that looked over the top of the gate, Whence came you, and what would you have? He answered, I have ate and drank in the presence of the king, and he has taught in our streets. Then they asked him for his certificate, that they might go in and show it to the king. So he fumbled in his bosom for one, and found none. Then said they, Have you none? But the man answered never a word. So they told the king, but he would not come down to see him, but commanded the two shining ones that conducted Christian and Hopeful to the city to go out and take ignorance and bind him hand and foot and have him away. Then they took him up and carried him through the air to the door that I saw in the side of the hill and put him in there. Then I saw that there was a way to hell, even from the gates of heaven as well as from the city of destruction. So I awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Conclusion Now, reader, I have told my dream to thee. See if thou canst interpret it to me, or to thyself or neighbor. But take heed of misinterpreting, for that, instead of doing good, will but thyself abuse. By misinterpreting, evil ensues. Take heed also that thou be not extreme in playing with the outside of my dream nor let my figure or similitude put thee into a laughter or a feud. Leave this for boys and fools, but as for thee, do thou the substance of my matter see. Put by the curtains, look within my veil, turn up my metaphors, and do not fail. There, if thou seekest them, such things to find as will be helpful to an honest mind. What of my dross thou findest there? Be bold to throw away, but yet preserve the gold. What if my gold be wrapped up in ore? None throws away the apple for the core. But if thou shalt cast away all is vain, I know not but twill make me dream again. This is the end of the first part of the book. Part 2, Chapter 1 Courteous Companions Some time since, to tell you my dream that I had of Christian the Pilgrim, and of his dangerous journey towards the celestial country, was pleasant to me and profitable to you. I told you then also what I saw concerning his wife and children, and how unwilling they were to go with him on pilgrimage, insomuch that he was forced to go on his progress without them, for he durst not run the danger of that destruction which he feared would come by staying with them in the city of destruction. Wherefore, as I then showed you, he left them and departed. Now it hath so happened, through the multiplicity of business, that I have been much hindered and kept back from my wanted travels into those parts whence he went, and so could not, till now, obtain an opportunity to make further inquiry after those whom he left behind, that I might give you an account of them. But having had some concerns that way of late, I went down again thitherward. Now having taken up my lodgings in a wood about a mile off the place, as I slept, I dreamed again. And as I was in my dream, behold, an aged gentleman came by where I lay. And because he was about to go some part of the way that I was traveling, 
Methought I got up and went with him. So as we walked, and as travelers usually do, I was as if we fell into discourse, and our talk happened to be about Christian and his travels. For thus I began with the old man. Sir, said I, what town is that there below, that lieth on the left hand of our way? Then said Mr. Sagacity, for that was his name, It is the city of destruction, a populous place, but possessed with a very ill-conditioned and idle sort of people. I thought that was the city, said I. I went once myself through that town, and therefore know that this report you give of it is true. Mr. Sagacity said, Too true. I wish I could speak truth in speaking better of them that dwell therein. Well, sir, said I, then I perceive you to be a well-meaning man, and so one that takes pleasure to hear and tell of what which is good. Pray, did you never hear what happened to a man some time ago of this town, whose name was Christian, that went on pilgrimage up towards the higher regions? Christians are well spoken of when gone, though called fools while they are here. Hear of him, said Mr. Sagacity. I, and I also heard of the molestations, troubles, wars, captivities, cries, groans, frights, and fears that he met with and had in his journey. Besides, I must tell you, all our country rings of him. There are but few houses that have heard of him and his doings but have sought after and got the record of his pilgrimage. Yea, I think I may say that his hazardous journey has got many well-wishers to his ways. For though when he was here he was a fool in every man's mouth, yet now he is gone he is highly commended of all. For tis said he lives bravely where he is. Yea, many of them that are resolved never to run his hazards, yet have their mouths watering at his gains. They may, said I, well think, if they think anything that is true, that he liveth well where he is, for he now lives at and in the fountain of life, and has what he has without labor and sorrow, for there is no grief mixed therewith. But pray, what talk have the people about him? Talk, said Mr. Sagacity. The people talk strangely about him. Some say that he now walks in white, that he has a chain of gold about his neck, that he has a crown of gold beset with pearls upon his head. Others say that the shining ones that sometimes showed themselves unto him in his journey are become his companions, and that he is as familiar with them in the place where he is as here one neighbor is with another. Besides, it is confidently affirmed concerning him that the king of the place where he is has bestowed upon him already a very rich and pleasant dwelling at court, and that he every day eateth and drinketh and walketh and talketh with him, and receiveth of the smiles and favors of him that is judge of all there. Moreover, it is expected of some that his prince, the lord of that country, will shortly come into these parts and will know the reason, if they can give any, why his neighbors set so little by him and had him so much in derision when they perceived that he would be a pilgrim. For they say that now he is so in the affections of his prince and that his sovereign is so much concerned with the indignities that were cast upon Christian when he became a pilgrim that he will look upon all as if done unto himself. And no marvel, for it was for the love that he had to his prince that he ventured as he did. I dare say, said I, I am glad of it. I am glad for the poor man's sake, for that he now has rest from his labor, and for that he reapeth the benefit of his tears with joy, and for that he has got beyond gunshot of his enemies, and is out of the reach of them that hate him. 
I also am glad for that a rumor of these things is noised abroad in this country. Who can tell but that it may work some good effect on some that are left behind? But pray, sir, while it is fresh in my mind, do you hear anything of his wife and children? Poor heart, I wonder in my mind what they do. Who, said Mr. Sagacity, Christiana and her sons? They are like to do as well as Christian himself. For though they all played the fool at first, and would by no means be persuaded by either the tears or entreaties of Christian, yet second thoughts have wrought wonderfully with them, so that they have packed up and are also gone after them. Better and better, said I, but what, wife and children, and all? It is true, said Mr. Sagacity, and I can give you an account of the matter, for I was upon the spot at the instant, and was thoroughly acquainted with the whole affair. Then, said I, a man, it seems, may report it for a truth. Mr. Sagacity said, You need not fear to affirm it. I mean that they are all gone on pilgrimage, both the good woman and her four boys. And being we are, as I perceive, going some considerable way together, I will give you an account of the whole matter. Mark this, you that are churls, to your godly relations. This Christiana, for that was her name from the day that she with her children betook themselves to a pilgrim's life, after her husband had gone over the river, and she could hear of him no more, her thoughts began to work in her mind. First, for that she had lost her husband, and for that the loving bond of that relation was utterly broken betwixt them. For you know, said he to me, nature can do no less but entertain the living with many a heavy cogitation, in the remembrance of the loss of loving relations. This, therefore, of her husband did cost her many a tear. But this was not all, for Christiana did also begin to consider within herself whether unbecoming behavior towards her husband was not one cause that she saw him no more, and that in such sort he was taken away from her. And upon this came into her mind by swarms all her unkind, unnatural, and ungodly carriages to her dear friends, which also clogged her conscience and did load her with guilt. She was, moreover, much broken with recalling to remembrance the restless groans, brinish tears, and self-bemoanings of her husband, and how she did harden her heart against all his entreaties and loving persuasions of her and her sons to go with him. Yea, there was not anything that Christian either said to her or did before her all the while that this burden did hang on his back, but it returned upon her like a flash of lightning and rent the call of her heart in sunder especially that bitter outcry of his, What shall I do to be saved? did ring in her ears most dolefully. Then said she to her children, Sons, we are all undone. I have sinned away your father, and he is gone. He would have had us with him, but I would not go myself. I also have hindered you of life. With that the boys fell all into tears and cried out to go after their father. Oh, said Christiana, that it had been but our lot to go with him. Then had it fared well with us, beyond what it is like to do now. For though I formerly foolishly imagined, concerning the troubles of your father, that they proceeded of a foolish fancy that he had, or for that he was overrun with melancholy humors, yet now it will not out of my mind, but that they sprang from another cause, to wit, for that the light of life was given him, by the help of which, as I perceive, he has escaped the snares of death. Then they all wept again and cried out, O oh, woe worth the day! The next night Christiana had a dream, and behold, she
she saw as if a broad parchment were opened before her, in which were recorded the sum of her ways, and the times, as she thought, looked very black upon her. Then she cried out aloud in her sleep, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, and the little children heard her. Mark this, this is the quintessence of hell. After this, she thought she saw two very ill-favored ones standing by her bedside and saying, What shall we do with this woman? For she cries out for mercy, waking and sleeping. If she be suffered to go on as she begins, we shall lose her as we have lost her husband. Wherefore we must, by one way or another, seek to take her off from the thoughts of what shall be hereafter, else all the world cannot help, but she will become a pilgrim. Now she awoke in a great sweat, also a trembling was upon her, but after a while she fell to sleeping again, and then she thought she saw Christian, her husband, in a place of bliss, among many immortals, and with a harp in his hand, stranding and playing upon it before one that sat upon a throne with a rainbow about his head. She saw also as if he bowed his head with his face to the paved work that was under the prince's feet, saying, I heartily thank my lord and king for bringing of me into this place. Then shouted a company of them that stood round about and harped with their heart, but no man living could tell what they said, but Christian and his companions. Convictions seconded with fresh tidings of God's readiness to pardon. Next morning when she was up and had prayed to God and talked with her children a while, one knocked hard at the door, to whom she spake out, saying, If thou comest in God's name, come in. So he said, Amen, and opened the door and saluted her with, Peace be to this house. The which, when he had done, he said, Christiana, knowest thou wherefore I am come? Then she blushed and trembled. Also her heart began to wax warm with desires to know from whence he came, and what was his errand to her. So he said unto her, My name is Secret. I dwell with those that are on high. It is talked of where I dwell, as if thou hadst a desire to go thither. Also there is a report that thou art aware of the evil thou hast formerly done to thy husband, in hardening thy heart against his way, and in keeping of these thy babes in their ignorance. Christiana, the merciful one has sent me to tell thee that he is a God ready to forgive, and that he taketh delight to multiply the pardon of offenses. He also would have thee know that he inviteth thee to come into his presence, to his table, and that he will feed thee with the fat of his house and with the heritage of Jacob thy father. There is Christian, thy husband that was, with legions more his companions, ever beholding that faith that doth minister life to beholders, and they will be glad when they shall hear the sound of thy feet step over thy father's threshold. Christiana at this was greatly abashed in herself and bowed her head to the ground. The visitor proceeded and said, Christiana, here is also a letter for thee, which I have brought from thy husband's king. So she took it and opened it, but it smelled after the manner of the best perfume. Also it was written in letters of gold, the contents of the letter were these, that the king would have her to do as Christian, her husband, for that was the way to come to his city and to dwell in his presence with joy forever. At this the good woman was quite overcome, so she cried out to her visitor, Sir, will you carry me and my children with you, that we also may go and worship this king? Then said the visitor, Christiana, the bitter is before the sweet, that 
thou must through troubles, as did he that went before thee, enter the celestial city. Wherefore I advise thee to do as did Christian thy husband. Go to the wicket gate yonder over the plain, for that stands in the head of the way up which you must go, and I wish thee all good speed. Also I advise that thou put this letter in thy bosom, that thou read therein to thyself and to thy children, until you have got it by rote of heart. For it is one of the songs that thou must sing while thou art in this house of thy pilgrimage. Also this thou must deliver in at the farther gate. Now I saw in my dream that this old gentleman, as he told me the story, did himself seem to be greatly affected therewith. He moreover proceeded and said, So Christiana called her sons together, and began thus to address herself unto them. My sons, I have, as you may perceive, been of late under much exercise in my soul about the death of your father. Not for that I doubt at all of his happiness, for I am satisfied now that he is well. I have also been much affected with the thoughts of mine own state and yours, which I verily believe is by nature miserable. My carriages also to your father in his distress is a great load to my conscience, for I hardened both mine own heart and yours against him, and refused to go with him on his pilgrimage. The thoughts of these things would now kill me outright, but for a dream which I had last night, and but for the encouragement that this stranger has given me this morning. Come, children, let us pack up and be gone to the gate that leads to the celestial country, that we may see your father and be with him and his companions in peace, according to the laws of that land. Then did her children burst out into tears for joy that the heart of their mother was so inclined. So their visitor bade them farewell, and they began to prepare to set out for their journey. But while they were thus about to be gone, two of the women that were Christiana's neighbors came up to the house and knocked at the door, to whom she said as before, If you come in God's name, come in. At this the women were stunned, for this kind of language they used not to hear or to perceive to drop from the lips of Christiana. Yet they came in. But behold, they found the good woman preparing to be gone from her house. So they began and said, Neighbor, pray, what is your meaning by this? Christiana answered and said to the eldest of them, whose name was Mrs. Timorous, I am preparing for a journey. This Timorous was daughter to him that met Christian upon the hill of difficulty, and would have had him go back for fear of the lions. Mrs. Timorous said, For what journey, I pray you? Even to go after my good husband, said Christiana, and with that she fell a-weeping. I hope not so, good neighbor, said Mrs. Timorous. Pray for your poor children's sake. Do not so unwomanly cast away yourself. Nay, my children shall go with me, said Christiana. Not one of them is willing to stay behind. Then said Mrs. Timorous, I wonder in my very heart what or who has brought you into this mind. O oh, neighbor, said Christiana, knew you but as much as I do, I doubt not but that you would go with me. Death. Mrs. Timorous said, Tell me, what new knowledge hast thou got that so worketh off thy mind from thy friends, and that tempteth thee to go nobody knows where? Then Christiana replied, I have been sorely afflicted since my husband's departure from me, but especially since he went over the river. But that which troubleth me most is my churlish carriages to him when he was under his distress. Besides, I am now as he was then. Nothing will serve me but going on pilgrimage. I was a-dreaming last night that I saw him. Oh, that my soul was with him! 
He dwelleth in the presence of the king of the country. He sits and eats with him at his table. He has become a companion of immortals, and has a house now given him to dwell in, to which the best palaces on earth, if compared, seem to me but as a dunghill. The prince of the place has also sent for me with promises of entertainment, if I shall come to him. His messenger was here even now, and has brought me a letter which invites me to come. And with that she plucked out the letter and read it, and said to them, What now will you say to this? The Reasonings of the Flesh Mrs. Timorous said, O oh, the madness that hath possessed thee and thy husband, to run yourselves upon such difficulties! You have heard, I am sure, what your husband did meet with, even in a manner at the first step that he took on his way, as our neighbor obstinate can yet testify, for he went along with them, yea, and pliable too, until they, like wise men, were afraid to go any farther. We also heard over and above how he met with the lions, Apollyon, the shadow of death, and many other things. Nor is the danger he met with at Vanity Fair to be forgotten by thee. For if he, though a man, was so hard put to it, what canst thou, being but a poor woman, do? Consider also that these four sweet babes are thy children, thy flesh and thy bones. Wherefore, though thou shouldst be so rash as to cast away thyself, Yet for the sake of the fruit of thy body, keep thou at home. A pertinent reply to fleshly reasonings. But Christiana said to her, Tempt me not, my neighbor. I have now a price put into my hands to get gain, and I should be a fool of the greatest size if I should have no heart to strike in with the opportunity. And for that you tell me of all these troubles which I am like to meet with in the way, they are so far off from being to me a discouragement that they show I am in the right. The bitter must come before the sweet, and that also will make the sweet the sweeter. Wherefore, since you are come not to my house in God's name, as I said, I pray you to be gone, and not to disquiet me further. Then Timorous reviled her and said to her fellow, Come, neighbor Mercy, let us leave her in her own hands, since she scorns our counsel and company. But Mercy was at a stand, and could not so readily comply with her neighbor, and that for a twofold reason. One, her bowels yearned over Christiana, and so she said within herself, If my neighbor will needs be gone, I will go a little way with her and help her. Two, her bowels yearned over her own soul, for what Christiana had said had taken hold upon her mind. Wherefore she said within herself again, I will yet have more talk with this Christiana, and if I find truth and life in what she shall say, myself with my heart, shall also go with her. Wherefore Mercy began thus to reply to her neighbor Timorous. Mercy said, Neighbor, I did indeed come with you to see Christiana this morning, and since she is, as you see, taking her last farewell of her country, I think to walk this sunshiny morning a little with her to help her on her way. But she told her not of the second reason, but kept that to herself. Well, said Mrs. Timorous, I see you have a mind to go fooling too but take heed in time, and be wise. While we are out of danger, we are out, but when we are in, we are in. So Mrs. Timorous returned to her house, and Christiana betook herself to her journey. But when Timorous was got home to her house, she sends for some of her neighbors, to wit, Mrs. Bathsize, Mrs. Inconsiderate, Mrs. Lightmind, and Mrs. Know-Nothing. So, when they were come to her house, she falls to telling of the story of Christiana and of her intended journey, 
and thus she began her tale. Neighbors, having had little to do this morning, I went to give Christiana a visit, and when I came at the door, I knocked, as you know it is our custom, and she answered, If you come in God's name, come in. So in I went, thinking all was well, but when I came in, I found her preparing herself to depart the town, she and also her children. So I asked her what was her meaning by that, and she told me, in short, that she was now of a mind to go on pilgrimage, as did her husband. She told me also a dream that she had, and how the king of the country, where her husband was, had sent her an inviting letter to come thither. Then said Mrs. Know-Nothing, And what? Do you think she will go? I go she will, said Mrs. Timorous, whatever comes of it. And methinks I know it by this, for that which was my great argument to persuade her to stay home, to wit the troubles she was like to meet with in the way, is one great argument with her to put her forward on her journey. For she told me in so many words, The bitter goes before the sweet. Yea, and for as much as it so doth, it makes the sweet the sweeter. Mrs. Batsai said, Oh, this blind and foolish woman! Will she not take warning by her husband's afflictions? For my part I see, if he were here again, he would rest him content in a whole skin, and never run so many hazards for nothing. Mrs. Inconsiderate also replied, saying, Away with such fantastical fools from the town, a good riddance for my part, I say of her. Should she stay where she dwells, and retain this her mind, who could live quietly by her? For she will either be dumpish, or unneighborly, or talk of such matters as no wise body can abide. Wherefore, for my part, I shall never be sorry for her departure. Let her go, and let better come in her room. It was never a good world since these whimsical fools dwelt in it. Madam Wanton, she that had like to have been too hard for faithful in time past. Then Mrs. Lightmine added as followeth, Come, put this kind of talk away. I was yesterday at Madam Wanton's, where we were as merry as the maids. For who do you think should be there but I and Mrs. Love the Flesh, and three or four more, with Mr. Lechery, Mrs. Phil, and some others? So there we had music and dancing, and what else was meet to fill up the pleasure? And I dare say my lady herself is an admirable, well-bred gentlewoman, and Mr. Lechery is a pretty fellow. Chapter 2 By this time Christiana was got on her way, and Mercy went along with her. So as they went, her children being there also, Christiana began to discourse. And Mercy said, Christiana, I take this as an unexpected favor, that thou shouldst set forth out of doors with me, to accompany me a little in my way. Then said young Mercy, for she was but young, If I thought it would be to purpose to go with you, I would never go near the town any more. Well, Mercy, said Christiana, cast in thy lot with me. I well know what will be the end of our pilgrimage. My husband is where he would not but be for all the gold in the Spanish mines. Nor shalt thou be rejected, though thou goest but upon my invitation. The king who hath sent for me and my children is one that delighteth in mercy. Besides, if thou wilt, I will hire thee, and thou shalt go along with me as my servant. Yet we will have all things in common betwixt thee and me. Only go along with me. Mercy said, but how shall I be ascertained that I also shall be entertained? Had I this hope but for one that can tell, I would make no stick at all, but would go, being helped by him that can help, 
though the way be ever so tedious. Christiana allures her to the gate, which is Christ, and promises there to inquire for her. Well, loving mercy, said Christiana, I will tell thee what thou shalt do. Go with me to the wicket gate, and there I will further inquire for thee. And if there thou dost not meet with encouragement, I will be content that thou shalt return to thy place. I will also pay thee for thy kindness which thou showest to me and my children, in the accompanying of us in our way as thou dost. Then I will go thither, said Mercy, and will take what shall follow, and the Lord grant that my lot may there fall, even as the King of Heaven shall have his heart upon me. Christiana was then glad at her heart, not only that she had a companion, but also for that she had prevailed with this poor maid to fall in love with her own salvation. So they went on together, and Mercy began to weep. Then said Christiana, Wherefore weepeth my sister so? Alas, said she, who can but lament, that shall but rightly consider what a state and condition my poor relations are in, that yet remain in our sinful town. And that which makes my grief the more heavy is, because they have no instructors, nor any to tell them what is to come. Christian's prayers were answered for his relations after he was dead. Christiana said, Bowels become a pilgrim, and thou dost for thy friends as my good Christian did for me when he left me. He mourned for that I would not heed nor regard him. But his Lord and ours did gather up his tears and put them into his bottle. And now both I and thou and these, my sweet babe, are reaping the fruit in benefit of them. I hope, mercy, that these tears of thine will not be lost, for the truth hath said that they that sow in tears shall reap in joy, in singing, and he that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his seeds with him. Then said Mercy, Let the most blessed be my guide, if it be his blessed will, unto his gate, into his fold, up to his holy hill. And let him never suffer me to swerve or turn aside, from his free grace and holy ways, whate'er shall me betide. And let him gather them of mine that I have left behind. Lord, make them pray they may be thine with all their heart and mind. Their own kind of conclusions instead of the word of life. Now my old friend proceeded and said, But when Christiana came to the swath of despond, she began to be at a stand. For, said she, This is the place in which my dear husband had liked to have been smothered with mud. She perceived also that, notwithstanding the command of the king, to make this place for pilgrims good, yet it was rather worse than formerly. So I asked if that was true. Yes, said the old gentleman, too true, for many there be that pretend to be the king's laborers, and say they are for mending the king's highways, that bring dirt and dung instead of stones, and so mar instead of mending. Here Christiana, therefore, with her boys, did make a stand. What said Murphy? Come, let us enter, only let us be wary. Then they looked well to their steps, and made shift to get staggeringly over. Yet Christiana had liked to have been in, and not not once, nor twice. Now they had no sooner got over, but they thought they heard words that said unto them, Blessed is he that believeth, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Then they went on again, and said mercy to Christiana, Had I as good ground to hope for a loving reception at the wicked gate as you, I think no swath of despond would disturb me. Well, said the other, you know your sore, and I know mine, and good friend, we shall all have enough evil before we come at our journey's end. 
For it can be imagined that the people that design to attain such excellent glories as we do, and that are so envied that happiness is real, but that we shall meet with what fears and scares, with what troubles and afflictions, that can possibly assault us with, that hate us. Prayer should be made with consideration and fear, as well as in faith and hope. Now Mr. Sagacity left me to dream out my dream by myself. Wherefore, methought I saw Christiana and Mercy, and the boys go all of them up to the gate, to which when they were come, they betook themselves to a short debate about how they must manage their calling at the gate, and what should be said to him that did open unto them. So it was concluded, since Christiana was the eldest, that she should knock for entrance, and that she should speak to him that did open for the rest. So Christiana began to knock, and as her poor husband did, he knocked and knocked again. But instead of any that answered, they all thought that they heard as if a dog came barking upon them, a dog, and a great one too, and this made the women and children afraid, nor durst they for a while to knock any more, for fear the dogs should fly upon them. Now therefore they were greatly tumbled up and down in their minds, and knew not what to do. Knock they durst not, for fear of the dogs. Go back they durst not, for fear the keeper of the gate should espy them as they so went, and should be offended with them. At last they thought of knocking again, and knocked more vehemently than they did at first. Then said the keeper of the gate, Who is there? So the dog left off to bark, and he opened unto them. Then Christiana made low bow, and said, Let not our Lord be offended with his handmaidens, for that we have knocked at his princely gate. Then said the keeper, Whence come ye, and what is it that you would have? Christiana answered, We are come from whence Christian did come, and upon the same errand as he, to wit, to be, if it shall please you, graciously admitted by this gate into the way that leads to the celestial city. And I answer, my lord, in the next place, that I am Christiana, once the wife of Christian, that now is gotten above. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reform books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780 780- Four five zero thirty seven thirty by fax at seven eight zero four six eight ten ninety six or by mail at forty seven ten dash thirty seven A Avenue, Edmonton. That's E D M O N T O N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A capital B, Canada, T six L three T five. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. 
There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important when he says that God had commanded no such thing and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.